Welcome to another episode of Don't Give Up Skeleton. I'm your host, Jeremy Greer. This week we are joined by Illusory Wall. Uh, most of you probably already know who Illusory Wall is. Um, he's a well-known member of the Souls community. Um, he digs into these games and tries to figure out exactly what makes them tick and publishes all that knowledge on the various wikis to, that everybody can share in it. Um, quick warning, we do talk about some Dark Souls 3 areas in here, so if you're still worried about spoilers, then... Um, and you haven't finished Dark Souls 3, you might want to save this one for later. And this, is, and this episode does get kind of technical. Uh, Illusory likes to nerd out about this stuff, and so do I. So uh, we, we kind of get into some, some details on some mechanics. And I, I had a lot of fun with it, and I hope he did as well. Reminder, if uh, you want to share your story with me in the podcast, uh, you can reach me on Twitter at DGUSpodcast or on Gmail, DGUSpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks, and enjoy the episode. Are you playing any DS3 lately? Uh, yes, I am, actually. Uh, I'm still not, like, I still haven't even beaten it yet. Um, mm-hmm. This sort of happens with all the Souls games. I tend to get stuck. Like, I'll just sort of get to an area, do a bunch of co-op and PvP for a while, and then get to the next area and sort of, like, do the same thing. Uh, so my first playthroughs always take a very, very long time. Um, I think, like, the fastest first playthrough of a Souls game was probably Dark Souls 1 for me. Um, but, like... And I, I don't remember the hours spent, but it was probably like sixty hours to get through that, and that's that's low for a first playthrough for for me. So, yeah, mine on DS3 was like uh, seventy five hours, I think. Yeah, for, my... for exactly the same reason. I just get so caught up in like doing co op on a certain boss that I really like, or hey, I found the PvP zone that works. <laughs> I'm gonna stick you stay here exactly. for a while. And I always get like I always tell myself like, all right, I'm just gonna enjoy the game normally and like not get involved with like testing kind of stuff in my first playthrough. Uh, but mm-hmm. that never works out. There's always something. <laughs> there's just always something like, wait, I want to know more about this, and then I just get stuck doing that for a while, and it's like that also sort of slows me down. But it's okay. I, you know, I have fun doing it. Yeah, um, you, you've been pretty active about that because I see you on Twitter talking about like the different. Um, I think the first thing I saw you post about DS3 was like, hey, don't use a passwording system and think it's going to make your multiplayer better. Like that's not going to work, um, which I totally agreed with. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and then, but you've been kind of active of keeping up with, <clears throat> excuse me, various like mechanical stuff inside the game too. <clears throat> Has anything in particular caught your eye? That's kind of interesting. Yeah, there's a few things I'm sort of looking at. Like I sort of always want to chip away at level ranges first whenever one of these games comes out. And so I have like a sort of process and because the games have very similar mechanics, mostly you can just sort of predict in in advance how it's going to work. So like the first thing I wondered was like, all right, when you kill another player in PVP, how many souls do they drop? Because historically throughout the series, you drop uh, like a base, like a set amount of souls based on your level. It's like not how many souls, you know, anyone's carrying or anything like that. And so if you can work out the formula, like, oh, if, you know, someone drops 500-something souls, like, that says that they're level 20-something or whatever. You know, I'm just making those yeah. numbers up, of course, but... Yeah. Um, and that's a really useful tool to have, because if you're trying to learn about level ranges and you're doing, like, randoms, you know, not just co-op, but, like, invading random people, um, it's not really reliable to keep asking people what their level is, because you'll get, like, you know, someone will make a typo or just type something, you know, put the wrong thing in by accident. Um 
So what I tend to do playing these games is I'll just do a bunch of PvP and like keep a text file on the side and just be like, all right, you know, I was this level and I killed someone and I know they were this level based on the souls they dropped. And uh, so like that can be a huge time sink, but at least, you know, I have fun doing it. So yeah, yeah, because it's kind of like discovering something that's not there that nobody else really knows about yet. Exactly. Yeah. I got 8,000 souls from uh, uh, Summon the other day as a Red Phantom. You were the Red Phantom? I was the Red Phantom, and I killed um, uh, the host White Phantom and got like 8,000. It may have been like six to 8,000. I'm not quite sure how many souls I had on me, but since you drop your bloodstain like where you die in, in yeah. someone else's world and not where you invaded from, like I, I hardly ever have souls on me when I invade with the Red Orb. Right, so. likewise. Yeah, so like 8,000 souls I ended up with, and I was like, how high level were these players? Yeah, like, uh, you know, I could probably tell you. Um, <laughs> hold for, you know, I might have to hold for edit because I'd have to do some calculations, but uh, like what? Uh, 8,000. Okay, hold on just a second. No, that's all right. That's, yeah, I'm, cu- I'm curious. Yeah, I want to look this look this shit up. Um, where are my notes? Okay. Yeah, sorry, hopefully this is easy to trim out, like the the downtime here oh yeah absolutely or or just leave in because i i, I kind of like this stuff so <laughs> sure you know what i'm doing if this is staying and i can just tell the listeners what i'm doing i posted a topic. yeah yeah I, yeah describe what you're doing for us. sure i posted a topic on reddit where i figured out like most of the different soul rewards because there's different rewards based on your perspective right um so like if you're a host you get more souls for killing someone than if you're an invader than killing someone at the same level so it, the souls they drop is based on a percentage of the leveling cost like a level 100 player, you know, it costs X amount of souls to level up from level 99 to 100. So if you kill a level 100 player, you get some percentage of whatever that leveling cost is. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just looking up the topic I posted to sort of dig through. Um, and I kind of remember that, that wasn't it that way in uh, Dark Souls 1 as well, where you got like 10% of what it would take for yeah. the... Yeah, it's like if in Dark Souls 1, the soul rewards were way higher than they are in Dark Souls 3. It's like you if you were the host and you killed an invader, you got like 50% of the leveling cost. I think That's what it I was. think if you're the invader, you got like twenty five percent. I added that information to the wiki a while back. I don't remember all the exact numbers, but they're much lower in this game. Like there's some cases where there's only one percent rewards depending on what you are. Um, okay, so I found here. Um, so you were a red phantom. Did you put your sign down or did you use the red eye orb? Use the orb. Okay, cool. So you're a proper invader. You invade as a red phantom. So four percent reward, uh, and you got like eight thousand, roughly eight thousand souls or something. Uh, anywhere from six to eight. I don't remember exactly how many I had on me, but it would have been more than two thousand. Okay, cool. So I'll put, I'll guess in the middle, seven thousand times point zero four. Right, have that right. Rewards. Oh no, divided by. I gotta get my calculation right. Got how to math. Okay. <laughs> I forgot okay, so, how to math. So basically, you know, um, I divided seven thousand by point zero four because it's supposed to be a four percent reward. So it gives me mm-hmm. this number seventeen or one hundred seventy-five thousand. So then, what I just do is I go to the one of the wikis here, and uh, the, all the the leveling costs in all Souls games has been identical since Demon Souls, aside from Dark Souls two. Um, so I can just go to like an older game. I can go to like Bloodborne's wiki and look up that table of leveling costs. It's gonna be the same as Dark Souls Three. So, um, let's see. So I got that number. I just look at the table of leveling costs, and the host you killed was somewhere in the ballpark of a level one hundred sixty. 
seems like extraordinarily high considering Dark Souls 3 has been out for, you know, three or four weeks now. Yeah, uh, do you know what level your invader was, actually? Um, it was probably 35, 40. Wow, okay, because I haven't done much, like, testing of those level ranges yet. Um, mm-hmm. So I didn't actually know if the Red Eye Orb goes infinitely up like it does in Dark Souls 1. So it seems like it might this time around. Yeah, um, I've definitely ran into some pretty high-level hosts. I've never, I haven't really killed a whole lot of them, though. But, like, I saw a host the other day who took, like, five swigs of his Estus to fill up his health. And I'm like, there's no way at the place where I am in the game that it would take you that much health. Like, I think I was in um, the the Farron perimeter right before the Abyss Watchers. Oh, wow. Yeah, so, <laughs> I, like, either they're a high enough level that they have that much vitality and it just takes an upgraded flask to heal them that much or like they just had no upgraded estus which doesn't make a lot of sense to me that's one of the tricky things about testing that way is like you have to kill your opponent to log their level so (laughs) yeah you actually have to win (laughs) right right and that's like you know i'm not great at pvp like you know i'm just like very mediocre and uh yeah, so if you're like if you're trying to confirm that you can invade a high level host, it's like, well, good luck killing them. Like sometimes you just hope that they die in the level or something and get lucky. I used to do a lot of that when invading a Dark Souls one, ask people like, well, hey, what what level are you? Mm-hmm. And um, I have I have a hard, harder problem with that on PS4 because the PS4 doesn't really update its um, friends you've met I w- category actually that's very rapidly. I'm glad you brought that up because that's something I've been meaning to ask people about. Um, mm-hmm. because during Bloodborne, you know, I was doing Bloodborne level range testing as well, and it was pretty easy, uh, you know, when that game was new, to PvP with someone, and I would estimate, like, maybe four out of five times, like, the players met thing worked perfectly. Um, like, it was easy to just go to players met, send them a message. Now, I don't know if it's an issue with Dark Souls 3, or just with the PSN, like, maybe an update to the PS4 kind of neutered that feature, because, like, I'll go in there and I'll sometimes find random people that I met like half an hour ago start showing up in there, but it's not everyone and it's not fast enough to message them. So, um, yeah, and that, that, which really puts a damper on my hate mail blog, by the way. Oh, right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. There's probably very little, uh, very few from PS4, right. Coming in. No, there's, um, actually the only ones that I've gotten so far have been from PS4. So, but, but I'm not sure, like, you know, I, mean, I haven't gotten a lot from dark souls three. Um, Probably already gotten more from Dark Souls 3 than I ever did Bloodborne, but that's a whole different story. Yeah, I was considering sending you something, but it wasn't that juicy, so I kind of, I was like, ah, oh, someone said, like, invaders are scum, by the way, to me, and I was like, uh, is that hate mail? Like, it was very... Oh, yeah, yeah, I'll, t- I'll take that, definitely. <laughs> sure, I'll, I'll, I'll send a screenshot of that to you. <laughs> it's, uh, it's better than people sending me hate mail for my hate mail blog, which I got today, so... <laughs> oh, no. Wow. That's no good. So where did you get hung up uh, on your first run in Dark Souls 3 this time, like doing co-op or PvP? Where was your first time that you got stuck, so to speak? Um, I think the first main area that I really stopped, and I think some people are going to be jealous to hear this, is like the, um, uh, what's that area called again? The first place where you run into the crabs, like the Farron... The Farron Woods. The Farron Woods. Because I actually had a lot of success with the um, Farron summoning um really yeah i i was in low level 40s and i think i had a plus three weapon and mm-hmm. i had no problem like um maxing out that that covenant man see I've, I've had that covenant badge on for a while now and for whatever reason when you do <clears throat> red eye orbs you get the covenant award for whatever you're wearing right so like i I got like 40 or 50 sunlight medals and then I was like, okay, well I can get this stuff for this other covenant. So I got 40 or 50 of those. Nice. 
but I've never <clears throat> I've never gotten auto summoned. It's just been a it's just been red eye invasions. Yeah, I did only auto summons for a while, and then like I noticed as I leveled up a bit and upgraded my weapon like one or two times, then it it died. But something that seems to you know this is really hard to test. I wouldn't know how to test it, but um. It seems to be like anecdote, like all the anecdotes are piling up that being in the area where the summon happens makes it work better. So if it, if you're waiting in the Farron Woods with that ring on, it'll work a lot better than if you're just like in a different part of the game. Um, hmm. Interesting. Th- that's something that I noticed before reading it elsewhere, and I've seen several other people chime in, um, you know, having noticed the same thing. So I saw um, there's another person on the Duckfeed Slack um, who was saying that she got quite a few more dark moon summons as soon as she went into new game plus huh. like as soon as she hit new game plus it just started picking up like she said i've started getting them left and right and i hardly ever got them in new, in new game so huh. which seems weird but it also could just be maybe level matching or something i'm not not really sure like could be the area that she's in that yeah i don't know yeah i'm it not seems sure like it's, Seems like this one's going to be pretty hard, like Dark Souls one, to to take apart, even yeah. with the PC version. Yeah, something that like always, you know, sort of troubled me, and I never figured out. It's not something I I tried working on or looking into too much. But in Dark Souls two, that's like the that's the first Souls game where they introduced a mechanic where uh, you could invade a different area. Well, I mean, I guess you could get some into the forest in Dark Souls 1 from outside the forest. But it was, like, the first time they had an invasion item, like the Blue Eye Orb. You could use it and potentially invade a host, uh, you know, in a different level. And, um, but you still got lots of failed invasions in that game. And it seems to me, like, if you can invade a host in any area, then why would you get failed invasions all the time? That seems very suspect to me. Mm-hmm. And... So I've always wondered, like, is it actually looking everywhere in the game, or is it randomly picking one area at a time? And I really feel like it could be the latter, and I feel like with some of these auto-summon covenants, like, there could be something very screwy with it getting hung up looking at one place or one particular thing. Like, it could be getting stuck in a way. Um, Well, it's like the way that the... um... Like it seems really counterintuitive for me the way the password system, password matching system works for co-op. Mm-hmm. That um, and they've even come out and said this in one of the patch notes. Like, hey, if you're in an area with a lot of signs and your level range is far apart and it's a long password, it'll take longer to see. And I'm like, I don't understand how that works at all. Yeah, <laughs> why would you look for the password first? <laughs> That's something I ran into just the other night. I was trying to do some testing on like the invasion cooldown timer. I, I still haven't mm-hmm. figured out how that works yet. Um, but, uh, so I was trying to summon some people to help, like, maybe make my invasion priority higher, and, uh, you know, if that's a thing, which it seems like it probably is, um, but it it was very strange. I couldn't find, uh, like, the people's summon signs at all, if, sometimes after waiting a very long time, and this is because I was in the PvP hotspot, so it, that, their statement seems to be true, like, if you're in a high-traffic area, uh, you might still really have a hard time finding your friend's summon sign, even with the password. So it's kind of a yeah, bummer. We were, I was helping someone in that very first bonfire in High Wall of Lotharic where, you know, you go in there human and like you, you can see like there's hundreds of signs on the ground. Yeah. about Cause it's the first area in the game. And I was level 80 something and he was brand new. I was helping him move some stuff to a lower level alt. And it took us about seven minutes to, for him to see my sign. Um, and it eventually worked. We were just sitting there, we're bullshitting on the mic and talking to each other, and it eventually popped up. But like seven minutes, like really? Right. <laughs> this seems crazy to me. This actually seems because there's like a lot of really super nerdy stuff that like I've been trying to look into, or like sort of I don't know, 
kind of silly problems, but I guess this is a good place to talk about it because I've I've been on some podcasts to talk about Dark Souls, um, but it's usually like I'm afraid to go into like this really far into the ridiculous details. Um, but yeah, if, if you don't mind hearing about some of the, the stuff Absolutely going on not. No, this, this stuff is my bread and butter. Like, okay. can, ostensibly, this is an origin podcast, like how you got started with Souls, oh, but sure. I'm very much interested in, in listening to this into the technical stuff. Oh, sure. We can get into all that later. Sure, sure. Um, so, some, so I want to know like what the cooldown timer for Invasions is in Dark Souls 3. And uh, I, I dissected Dark Souls 1 very thoroughly on that. Um, I had, you know, I used that debug that got leaked, so I was able to like figure out exactly how all of it worked, and I'm trying to use that knowledge to sort of guide me along, you know, make predictions on how it might work in this game. Um, something very weird happened though. So, you know, I hosted, I got invaded and killed. I was like, all right, I'm just gonna ember up and see how long it takes to get invaded again, right? Because it's still early in the game's lifespan, um, you know, and that won't inform me of what the cooldown timer is, but I'll at least know it's not like above so you know if the cooldown time is 15 minutes you know maybe i'll get invaded after waiting 17 minutes or something you know i got you and uh i waited at the first bonfire in uh erythil uh, like by the fountain okay i waited there for an hour and a half without getting never gotten and didn't get invaded a second time and it was like huh huh and so you know it's it's common knowledge that like invaders target party parties more often rather than hosts by themselves yes mm-hmm. part of me is wondering if is there actually a priority mechanic in the matchmaking or is it that there's a really heinously long cooldown timers for hosts who are by themselves because that would create the same effect so in other words if you're a host and you get killed by an invader like maybe and there's you ember up is there a two-hour time period right. where you won't get invaded again until you summon somebody to help which you know some listeners might say like no for that you know for sure that's not the case you know i didn't use mm-hmm. uh you know dried fingers or i didn't invade myself you know things that would probably reset your timer um you know that's like uh if someone's can say they've got back-to-back invasions the other thing too that keep in mind is that um different covenants or different phantom types probably have their own timers like in dark souls one if you got invaded by a red and then you know after they leave your game a timer for 15 minutes kicks in but a dark Mm -hmm. moon could still invade you in that time they had their own separate timer um so you know if you get invaded by a red but then an aldrich invader comes like shortly after that doesn't necessarily indicate that you didn't have a timer running so that's like something else to look out for so yeah it's it's I really enjoy all of the. I think the covenants have been simplified a little bit from um, mm-hmm. Dark Souls Two. Like, there's not so many. There's not a. There's not a weird covenant. Like, there's not really a Bellbro or a Rat. rat I kind of miss the weird covenants, though. I, uh, I I do too. Very much so. <laughs> yeah, like I always wished, and this is something that it's sort of a criticism I have with the Souls games since Dark Souls One, is that I feel like Dark Souls One had a lot of ambitious and really strange ideas. A lot of which didn't really work very well. Like you could talk about like the, the miracle resonant signs as kind of just like a weird side thing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the Gravelord Covenant, which you know a lot of people didn't really get to experience that. Uh, there's a lot of little things, and I feel like they shied away from that. Like I think they probably said, you know, this didn't work very well. Why don't we make something that's more direct multiplayer and just like, you know, I feel like that's how they came to the idea of doing like the rat thing in Dark Souls Two, where it was strange but it was very direct. It was very tight. Um, but mm-hmm. I sort of wish they'd go back to the sort of strange stuff and like maybe try to refine them so that they work better instead of just like not trying though. Instead of abandoning them all together. Yeah, because everything's yeah, very I... direct multiplayer now. It's very simple like multiplayer systems. 
I was reading an interview with uh, Miyazaki and um, that You Died book that just came out. Uh-huh. And, and in it, he talks about like his kind of ideas for invasion, in, the invading mechanic and demon souls about how he wanted to allow people to get in there and like you know mess up somebody else's world and then almost immediately afterwards he's like but you know maybe we left it too open (laughs) like maybe maybe we allowed them too much control and i'm like and i feel like since demon souls they have steadily tried to make it harsher and harsher on the evader like dark souls 2 the whole soul memory mechanic seemed to me just in direct response to you know low level soul level one people ganking yeah. in the berg or, or what have you so i wonder if like they created something and then that they just realized like oh this isn't what we wanted at all <laughs> it's funny even though it, it very much appeals to to me the way it was it's funny too because you know i don't know that the current matchmaking system of dark souls 3 is as good as it could be you know it's the game hasn't been out long enough for me to really be able to give it a proper critique but what they're using now is a system that i've proposed in the past like you can dig up i have an older post about it on my illusory wall uh, tumblr uh talking mm-hmm. about using level ranges and also like a gear, a gear check which i'm sure i'm not the only person to have come to that but it's like I, I wrote about it before and it's funny to see them finally implementing that now so um yeah you also wrote a um a really good article about like the weird mechanics in dark souls one and how you kind of hoped that they would be in dark souls three i remember that was pretty popular um i saw that all over twitter as soon as it came out oh thanks yeah i'm happy that got the reception it did i basically just sort of listed out and detailed all of the weird online stuff in dark souls one you know anything that wasn't direct multiplayer but all the weird indirect sort of asynchronous stuff and just sort of pointed out how like there's tons of crazy stuff in that game, but, but they haven't. It hasn't been back in the series since, unfortunately. Yeah, man, grave lording. They could do so much with grave lording. I've always like. I mean, imagine just being a player character, but in a limited move set, but like a weird black phantom monster. Like you don't get to invade with your gear, but get to inhabit that creature's move set or something. Yeah, like, I I always wanted to have a grave lord type thing where you would take control of some PVE mobs and you know. Yeah, exactly. Like that would be like that would be a cool way to go forward with. I know that would take like a lot of uh, work to make something like that viable, but I mean that could be pretty amazing. Yeah, oh, I, absolutely. I mean, but I, I kind of think that like nothing in these games would take a small amount of work. <laughs> these right, games are right. so huge and complicated. I don't know how they get made at all. Right. I, I, there's a friend of mine that keeps saying um, on Twitter. He, he keeps saying like, "Man, I just can't believe we've had five of these games since 2009." Right. Like five distinct worlds that are this huge and big with weird mechanics and with all this stuff. Like, it just it's just crazy to me that one company has done this. Oh, absolutely. I'm interested to see... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead, go ahead, please. I was going to say, I'm interested to see what's going to happen in Dark Souls 3, like, in its lifespan as far as patches go, Um, because Dark Souls 3 is in a really weird state where, like, you know, a lot of the current issues with it, they're not make or break, they don't make or break my enjoyment of the game, Um, but nonetheless, I definitely agree with a lot of the criticisms that are out there, like, the game not having any poise is very strange. That, That is a super weird thing. Um, it's a it's a very weird decision, so much so that it seems like just a, a a dumb oversight, like a flag got set on a test build or something, and they just didn't catch it before going gold or something. But I mean, like uh, it just man. seems so weird. Yeah, I have no idea. It's it's really really bizarre. Um, yeah, there's just some things like that where it's kind of like, huh? Like it's the, you know it's the fifth game in the series essentially, and it's like weird little last second problems seem to have hit this game, and it's like, huh? You know. It's a very it's a feels very much like a finished product, aside from just the like one glaring stat being like it's listed in the menu, but it doesn't really work or exist. 
Yeah, there are items that purport to increase it or decrease yeah. it, but... <laughs> <laughs> but it doesn't do anything, apparently, so... Yeah. Very, very strange. Yeah, I, until the poisoning is addressed or fixed, I'm pretty much just not going to do high-level PvP. Like, I'll, I'll just invade, like, low people where they aren't going to have 50 vitality with a bunch of, like, rings stacking that up. Like, I, I'm just not going to find that enjoyable. But low-level PvP, I think, is very, very fun. I, I've always loved low-level PvP. Um, I imagine after I get this character up to a higher level, because, again, I'm still, it's my first playthrough and first character I'm chipping away at, but I'm definitely going to want to make, like, a dedicated build that's, like, level 40 or something like that, because I love I love targeting people who are in their first playthrough, primarily. Um, it's really fun trying to find people to invade who are trying to progress through an area and sort of interrupting it. Um, rather than, I mean, I do like some of the Fight Club sort of stuff and, du- and the dueling. Um, I like the variation that comes with like the different types of stuff people are looking for, but the, just the classic bare-bones invasion is my favorite multiplayer thing to do, so... Me, me too like that's that's always been what drew me to this like organized duels are okay and it's fun that you know you can apply some sort of skill to it but like just creating chaos in some person from poor soul's world like that's, that's the yeah. best thing oh, ever. absolutely and you kind of sound like an asshole saying that like not you but like we kind of sound like yeah. assholes saying that but like it's true like it's really fun oh, it's really fun and yeah no i've never had like the i feel like the attitude of like a griefer like i don't see myself as someone trying to ruin anyone's good time like i i I hope that they enjoy it as much as I enjoy it. Um, that's usually, you know, because I remember my first invasion in the series uh, was in Demon Souls, where I didn't know that much about the game when it came out. And uh, I had heard that there were invasions in co-op, but I had forgotten about it by the time I was actually playing the game. And I got invaded in Latria, you know, 3-1. And it was just like that moment of like, oh my god, this is a thing in this game. Like, crap. <laughs> And I just, like, hid in one of those cells for, like, ten minutes. Like, I was such a coward. Like, I was so scared. And, like, the guy came and he used all of the, uh, like, the scraping spear, the stuff that, like, degrades and breaks your equipment. So, like, he broke all my gear and, like, totally murdered me. And I thought it was amazing. Like, I, like, it didn't make me frustrated. It was just, like, wow, this is some crazy crap in this game. And uh, so I've I've loved it ever since. So Demon's Souls was your very first Souls game? Yeah, um, yeah, I guess this would be a good way to segue into like how I got into the Souls games. Um, yeah, I came in from Demon Souls, although I wasn't one of the people who like got on release or anything. Um, I did get into it before Dark Souls 1 had come out. Um, you know, I probably got Demon Souls maybe like, I think just earlier in the same year that uh, Dark Souls came out. And um, I had heard, the only thing I really knew about it beforehand is I had heard someone raving about it on a forum. Um, this guy who goes by the name of Norn Rad. I believe he's one of the composers of uh, Retro City Rampage. He's a guy I know okay. from, you know, like the whole chip music uh, community. And uh, he was talking up Demon Souls, saying it was like, it's, you know, if you love Castlevania Symphony of the Night, you've got to play this game. It's the closest thing there is to a 3D Symphony of the Night. And uh, so I remember reading that and being like, wow, okay, this game looks up my alley, but I don't have a PS3 and I don't plan on getting one. So just file that away, whatever, you know, probably never going to play it. Mm-hmm. And then some months later on, a friend of mine invited me over to his house. He said, like, hey, I got this weird game that's pretty hard, uh, and, you know, I gave up on it, but it looks cool, so I want to see if you like it. Uh, and, of course, you know, it was Demon Souls, and, like, I, I loved the game immediately. Um, I just, I fell in love with it in Bulletaria 1-1. Uh, I thought the game was amazing right off the bat. So it just clicked with you immediately. Wow, because most people that talk to you on this, is they usually have that um, first story of where 
they picked it up and the game was just too much for them and they put it down and came back like a year and a half two years later yeah no no which is what happened to me so no i i it was like i loved it right away i mean i didn't know it was going to be like my favorite game or anything or favorite what would be my favorite series but um it was sort of like i don't know i mean i grew up with a lot of crappy games that weren't very good i had like an amiga computer and when I was a kid, I didn't really know better. Like, I wasn't very critical of games. It's just I would play whatever was around. And a lot of those games, looking back, they were very difficult. Uh, but they, they're very difficult to, due to having poor design. So the same way I would sort of chip away at old games growing up where, like, I would get stuck on them and I couldn't beat them. You know, I've had countless games growing up where just I couldn't get anywhere in them. Um, but then I come to a game like Demon Souls where it is hard and, you know, I, my, I'm dying. But I... You you sort of get these different ideas in your head of like how to handle a situation differently, and it rewards you for it, and you're able to keep moving forward. So right off the bat, it's like, oh, this is a game that's like, and there's this thing too with the Souls games where like, even though they're great, they're also like kind of crappy in some ways. I'm not sure what it is, but like there's something about them that feels a little off at times. I don't know. Um, maybe it's you know the something that feels like a little low budget about them in comparison to like other AAA games. And mm-hmm. that sort of just felt right up my alley. It's like, oh, I don't need like the epic cutscenes and all this other stuff. It felt very simple in some way, um, but the challenge felt very fair. So I could just tell like the the thing I remember most is falling into Meralda's pit in One Dash One. Like you see all those swirling souls. Oh yeah, yeah. Above yeah. that pit, yeah. and like that's where it really got in my head. I was like, okay, how do I get back to this area without? And how do I get past it without falling in and dying this time? And you know, from there, I was hooked. So was Demon Souls the? Is that did you start? Because your background, I, ugh, sorry, I can't even talk tonight. <laughs> no problem. You, you're kind of known to me um, and known to most of the Souls community as the guy that takes these games apart and kind of figures things out about them. Did you start that with Demon Souls, or did you? Oh did you come no, to that later. Yeah, because like there was already a wiki established for Demon Souls, and mm-hmm. it's not that there wasn't actually anything left because I have gone back to Demon Souls and picked out a few things, but it just didn't even occur to me to that there was like anything to contribute to. Um, like I've never contributed to another game's wiki or fact or anything before in my life. And, uh, but when Dark Souls 1 came out, that's when things got kind of crazy because I was able to see that game from release. And it was really interesting being involved with the discussion at the time because someone would ask a question like, why did this happen or how does this work? And I would see someone get like three or four different answers and no one really, kn- <laughs> no one really knowing what was correct. Yeah, And that just really, like, caught my attention. I was like, huh, you know, I wonder if there's a way to actually get concrete answers to these people's questions. And, like, that's that's where I really got hooked was all of the mysteries that Dark Souls 1 had. Because knowing that these are actual, this is a program, this isn't some, like, hugely complicated thing. Like, there's got to be a definite sequence of events or a definite, excuse me, a, <laughs> a definite algorithm or formula yeah. that's giving out these results yeah. like it should be provable and reproducible oh absolutely that's that's sort of the approach i took was um yeah is there a test i can set up to figure something out and like are there different things that you try to control for or you know very scientifically i guess it's you try to think of any variables and try to you know isolate and see if you can figure out what's going on was that the was the first thing that you went for in dark souls when the level ranges like you were talking about earlier the very first thing I did in Dark Souls 1 was I came up with a list, and you can still look it up. If you look up, like, Dark Souls 1 invasion spawn locations, uh, you'll find, like, okay. a page on the wiki dot for it. Um, I was just really curious, because, again, that's another one of those forum discussion things where people were at, noticed that 
you always invaded set spots in a level. And uh, so they're saying, like, well, how many places can you invade from in a level? And I would see, I saw someone like post a comment saying something like, oh, well, there's always a beginning spot and an end spot. And then someone else chimes in, like, well, no, I think there's a beginning, middle, and an end spot. And I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> what's going on here? Uh, turns out none of that's really true. It's just arbitrary. Um, some levels have a lot of places to invade and some don't. Uh, so I went through just like invading from every inch of the map, pretty much. And it was a fun little project because it's like, if I, you know, I'm like, where am I going to pop out when I invade? I have no idea. Um, and it was fun because at the time, like, I remember someone was asking, like, how many places can you invade in Senna's Fortress? And some people were saying two or three. And I think I found seven. Um, so it was like, oh, cool. Like, I'm finding little, like, different things that, you know, it's very small, like, trivial information that doesn't impact most people playing the game. Um, but it was just fun learning something new. Well, you say it's, like, small and trivial, but um, I've used some of that data um, back when I first started invading to decide, like, okay, well... I don't want to fight people in this environment. I want to fight people in this environment. So where do I need to go to be able to spawn up in, like at the top of sins as opposed to the bottom of sins? Because I want to be ahead of people, not behind them. So I would go to the top of sins and then maybe drop down and try to invade from there to be able to get into an advantageous spot when I would when I would spawn in. So like that kind of stuff is just gold for me. Like that, oh, I, I love you. that kind of those kind of details. Yeah, I loved in uh, Dark Souls One in the Painted World. Uh, if you invaded at the beginning of the level by the bonfire, um, you invade in on the starting bridge, and people would wait there and for invaders and gank them. And it, it's a very <laughs> dangerous place to be spawn jumped because it's just a cliff behind you and no other way around. Um, so people would be spamming like Force and Wrath, Wrath of Gods, and like there's no way to get out of there alive. Uh, unless you're like insanely good at PvP or something, or you just uh, get insanely lucky. Yeah, or get insanely insanely lucky. And what something that like a lot of people didn't maybe realize is that um, you could invade from later in the level, even if the host was still in the beginning of the level. So there were so many times where like I'd get invaded there, they'd jump me, and then I'd just invade, and they would always be waiting. Like they'd look really confused, like searching around the bridge, searching around the beginning area, <laughs> while I sneak up behind them and kill the host, and like the phantoms are. <laughs> Not around to help him. It was, it was so, so satisfying putting that knowledge to use. <laughs> That's really nice. <laughs> what What do you think is, like, the hardest thing that you've, like, had to... What is the hardest time you've had figuring out something in Dark Souls 1? Uh, in Dark Souls 1? Uh, mm-hmm. That would be the... Uh, I, it's a toss-up between the vagrants, and then there's also... You know how if you kill, like, a bunch of enemies in an area before you kill the boss, you can get humanity from enemies? Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm one of like two people who like tested and figured out how that all worked, and that that was like. Oh really? I, d- I didn't know that. Yeah, <clears throat> and um, yeah, it was me and this one guy from like the Fexter Life forums. We sort of like traded mm-hmm. notes back and forth until, you know, I made a table for Ricky Dot, and he made a t- table for uh, Fexter Life, and we sort of like traded notes and, um, that w- see that was a ridiculous project because we had sort of suspected that there was a hidden point system, but without seeing those numbers you're always going to be tainted, right? Like, if you already killed a bunch of enemies earlier in the playthrough, how do you know that you have a fresh start? Yeah. So what I would do is I would create a new character. And by the way, this is before the PC version was out, and this was... All- I was I was just about to ask you this. So, you, like, you couldn't use Cheat Engine or you couldn't look at the memory going on. Like, this was on 360 and PS3. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the Mega Mule wasn't out yet. So this was... There was no cheating involved. This is done legit without any tools to help me. And so I would just create a new character. I would go to an area without carefully without killing any enemies and then i would kill like just like one be very careful to only kill one of a certain enemy type until i got a point of humanity 
then I'd do it again until I got the second point of humanity from them. So it was, like, very ridiculous. Like, I, I would, like, basically speedrun to the Undead Parish just to kill, like, the Balder Knight with the Rapier on the stairs. Like, and make sure not kill any other enemies in the entire game before getting there. Like, yeah. So it, it was just sort of doing stuff like that to, like, figure out how that system worked. So it was kind of insane. That sounds like a very weird challenge run. <laughs> like it sounds and, like a, it definitely sounds like a, um, you know, how many bosses can you kill within twenty minutes or, or whatever. Like it sounds like one of those. I think that's how I was able to do a lot of testing. Is that even though it's like very tedious and a lot of work, is that I was able to find ways to enjoy it. Where it's like you just said, it felt like a challenge run of some kind. So that that's sort of like that's what made uh, a lot of these tests bearable. And I guess just to. Um, and just in case there's anybody out there listening that doesn't quite know what we're talking about in Dark Souls One, you would actually, as you move through a level and killing and killed your in, killed enemies, you would earn liquid humanity in your counter, um, just kind of randomly. And I remember going through Dark Souls for like the fifth or sixth time, and by that point you're relatively well geared and you kind of know how the enemies operate, so you're not having too much trouble. You're not dying a whole lot, and like you'd clear an area, come out with like four humanity that you didn't have before, yeah. and you'd be like, "What? What is this for? I don't understand." Exactly. Yeah, it was always, and that's that's what was, uh, you know, kind of tempting me to figure it out. Is because a lot of people were saying that that humanity came from getting your messages voted on online, mm-hmm. and like there were people who never laid messages and would get it. So it's like I know that's wrong. Uh, so like I wanted to really figure out why it was happening. So. Oh man, there was so much weird disinformation going around. Yeah. Um, oh, it was great. <laughs> in the first like six to nine months of Dark Souls, and I didn't even start it when it, the game came out. Like I didn't start till probably the January. I ha- followed it. I think it came out in, like September. I have so. like a love hate relationship with all that bad information because it's very fun. Like the sort of chaos of everyone having no clue what's going on, um, but it also like provides these interesting things to sort of pick at. So. It reminds me of a troll video I saw very early into my Dark Souls 1 PvP career where um, this person uh, invaded somebody's world and it was pretty clear that the host had no idea what was going on <laughs> and they were in the depths. And so the invader sends the host a message over 360 saying, hey, follow me, I'm going to lead you to some treasure. Oh no. And you can imagine where this is going, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then of course just, you know, keeps him down with the frogs using force and... Um, that's hilarious, but it's also something that probably just wouldn't happen. Like to like after a certain amount of time that the game has been out, like you're just not going to get people that will, you know. Nowadays, everyone knows what a red phantom is, or they they know right. what curse fruit frogs are, or anything. So, I, I love I love that first few months of time after a Souls game comes out that ever nobody knows anything, and it's just like every man for themselves. Oh, absolutely, yeah, it's the best. Is there kind of a gold rush with um? Because I know I've seen this with YouTube videos of like how to beat the boss or you know top 10 farming locations or whatever is there kind mm-hmm. of a gold rush to for the wiki side of this for all this data like i'm sure you don't really have anybody you compete with but like is is there people yeah. that that, in, that are your peers that you kind of work together with this stuff where you're like no this is this is gonna be my little project to find leveling ranges or to find invasion mechanics or, or what have you i um i don't think there really is much of a gold rush um unfortunately like i feel like the wikis can be pretty slow to update um yeah i sort of wish there was like more of a friendly competitive uh aspect in that regard um but yeah i i do feel like i'm on my own for a lot you know and i i do get help testing help from a lot of helpful people that when you know when i post on reddit and stuff like that uh but like generally i feel like i'm always retreating back to doing my own thing um but you know i'm always happy to like it is very alluring sometimes to be able to say like oh i'm the person who figured this mechanic out where i can say like it was just me like 
it's kind of cool, but at the same time, like I'm always just happy to help contribute to something where if someone else tests something first, then I can just maybe test it and add it to the wiki or something like that. So um, I never feel too rushed or too concerned about like being the first, uh, you know, as cool as it can be. It's, you know, not something I worry about. Not really a priority. Right. How hard is it to uh, like, you just mentioned like if somebody tests something, then you would test something, test it again and then, and then put it on the wiki. Like it must be really frustrating getting, cause I'm sure people like send you stuff like, Hey, I did this and this happened. Like, I think that that's the reason for it. And then you go in through and testing those things. Like how often does that stuff turn up just totally wrong? Or do you just kind of ignore it and do your own thing? Uh, it's sort of a combination. Yeah. I sort of, I'll like, I'll try my best to vet anecdotes, I guess. Um, where I'll like, I'll look at someone's report of something and I'll just sort of like, pick at it in my head sort of think like how reasonable is that based on other mechanics in the games that we know does it match up with what other people are saying and um but even that you have to be careful with because sometimes a lot of people can be convinced about the wrong thing um and then then i'll just do my best to sort of test at it and break it i guess that's sort of the solution if someone thinks something works a certain way uh i'll try to test against it um like for example in dark souls one it was common knowledge for a while that getting the firekeeper soul from blight town would trigger Lotrek to, you know, do his event, you know? Um, mm-hmm. But uh, it turns out that you have to collect it specifically with the Undead Parish one. Uh, so there was a lot of confusion for a while. Some people were saying you had to get three Firekeeper Souls. Some people were saying you had to get just the Blighttown one. So it was sort of fun, like, going straight to Blighttown and getting it and seeing that he didn't kill Anastasia yet. It's like, okay, I know that's not right. Um, and just sort of, you, you sort of play around with the ideas that are uh, out there to try to come up with a solution that's interesting because i would i'm, I'm still kind of confused as to, on the trigger of that because i watched somebody oh, play mm-hmm. uh, dark souls one for the first time and i didn't even really think about it everybody was expecting the thing to happen when he was coming up from Blytown. Uh-huh. like he was streaming it and we were watching it so everyone was just kind of was waiting with bated breath and of course you know lawtrek had killed it killed her and like she was gone but I, I just i remember very distinctly like he he looked across the way where you would go to get the firekeeper soul and he was like i'm gonna come back to this later and then turned around and left and i remember thinking like i wonder if that's not going to trigger the oh thing. Yeah. It, yeah it will yeah it's any combination of there, so there's two separate triggers uh ringing both bells will do it and that's that's, okay, so that's he had already one, killed Koyla, right so, so that was the thing so that's one of them or picking up the Firekeeper Soul in Blighttown and the Undead Parish one, um, you have to get both of them regardless of the order. So if you pick up the Blighttown one first, it won't happen. Then you, the moment you pick up the uh, Undead Parish one, it'll happen. So, um, <clears throat> How much, like, do you spend any time researching the NPC quest lines? That's always been something that's kind of fascinated me about how people figure out, hey, I need to be here without just literally going into every single area of the game to try to find, you know, Sigmire and Blighttown, which is something I would have never, ever thought to do. I feel like that's something I haven't had a hand in as much. I think the community does a very good job, you know, maybe between the guidebooks and just, own, you know, testing from the community mm-hmm. at large. They seem to get a very good grasp on that early on in the game's lifespans. Um, you know, I don't feel like you're learning about, like, new NPC triggers or narrowing them down, like, six months after a game is out. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there are specific cases, you know, the details of Lawtrek, uh, another one getting Quailana to spawn, spawn in the swamp is another funny one. That's oh yeah. Tripped yeah, up people for a weird. very long time. Um, yeah, you have to, you had to kill Quailog, but your, your glove has to be ascended to the max, but you can't have talked to so-and-so like there was all these weird rules. What? I remember people saying, yeah. And it turned out none of that's right. Really? It's, you just have to have a plus 10 or higher pyro flame. Or someone else has to enter your world. If if you get if you summon a co-op phantom or an invader shows up, 
having a plus 10 higher pyro frame she'll also show up yeah that the second bit of that i think is what probably was just a nightmare to try to figure out oh yeah someone just happened to be in my world like how would you ever know that right exactly (laughs) that's crazy to me but i did some some fun stuff in the debug where like i was standing right next to her spawn location and in the debug you can add like anything to your inventory so like i would add like a plus nine pyro flame nothing happens i had a plus 10 and she she literally pops in it like jumps into existence you don't have to rest out a bonfire or reload the area or anything you see her she just drops like from the air and then like falls into a sitting position that's really funny (laughs) you know i remember uh i don't know why i remember this so well but uh, you and i were talking on twitter one day and everybody who knows me knows like my favorite thing in dark souls one is the karmic justice spell oh yes how, how weird it is and um I mentioned offhand to you one day that, uh, like, yeah, I've always wanted to try to figure out if there was a place in Dark Souls 1 where you could fall and take falling damage five times and then trigger it. Because I think that'd be, I think, that would be I, I still think that would be hilarious. if that was possible. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was... So, I remember, yeah, you, you'd hit me up with that. So I was like, oh, my God, i got to find out. And I, I went and tested it, and unfortunately it does not work. Um, the way I was able to test it was in debug, you can teleport to a certain set of, like, XYZ coordinates. Um, so I just teleported... Uh, to a height that would do a little bit of fall damage. And, uh, you know, by this point, I'd already figured out the requirements for triggering it. So I knew that I was doing it, like, fast, consecutive enough, you know, damage points. Mm -hmm. So I just kept falling and taking damage, and it didn't set it off. And I was like, oh, man, like... (laughs) That's too bad. Yeah. I didn't think it would, because stuff like poison damage or toxic damage never did either. So I didn't think it would, but still, I've always had ideas of, like just falling the, the exact right away through the catacombs and then hitting someone at the bottom. Mm-hmm. Like that would have been so cool. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> if you, um, since, since dark souls three has come out mm-hmm. and I know, you know, bloodborne before it dark souls two, I know you were continually working on dark souls one stuff during dark souls two, but as newer games come out, do you find yourself going back at all? Like now that dark souls three is here and it's kind of has a little bit of mystery to it. Like, are you going to go back? Do you think, or are you pretty I, much done with the previous games? Um, I think what happens is I tend to work primarily on whatever game is out uh, the most, you know, whatever is current. Um, mm-hmm. The reason I kept going back to dark souls one is because I had access to the debug, uh, which was just a godsend for picking that part of the game apart. I mean, because there's so many, like, I can't even remember everything I've looked at. Stuff like um, the minutia of, like, uh, Miracle Resonance rings and how they how those work. And, like, there's so many little things I've picked at just because I have the resource for it. Um, if I had, like, if they leaked the debug to Dark Souls 2, I would be all over that. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it, it, I, I basically use, and I guess I could clarify for the listeners, I, a lot of people get the impression I'm, that I'm, I'm, like, a lot smarter than I am. Um <laughs> I think you're a pretty smart guy. Like, I barely know how to use Cheat Engine. Like, I'm not that... Like, I don't know how to program. Uh, I'm not... Mm-hmm. Like, if someone's like, oh, hey, where'd you get all those textures and models from? Like, I always clarify. Like, oh, no, no, Like, I work with other people who are smarter than me to get the files. And then I will, like, find some way to like, catalog them and sift through them. Um, but, yeah, so my testing methods always rely on... Either I have to think of something that I can test without cheating, or the cheating has to be fairly simple... Or someone else is going to come up with cheating tools that I, you know, someone else comes up with a tool set that I use to uh, figure stuff out. Um, Hello? That lose you? Oh, oh, sorry. Well, uh, did I cut out for a second? You must have, yeah. No big deal. Okay, yeah. I was just saying, like, yeah, I, I pretty much, if anything involves, like, a complicated tool set to test, uh, then I'm completely reliant on whatever else is out there, uh, you know. So, um, like, some people are asking, like, about poise in this game. 
Um, and I only have the game on PS4 currently. I, I will get it on PC eventually when I get a better graphics card. Um, but it's sort of like, oh, yeah, like that's that sort of stuff. Even though I'm known for testing the games, like I'm not really going to contribute to knowledge of like iframes or poise in Dark Souls 3 anytime soon. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Got to pick your battles, I guess. Exactly. It works. Yeah, I'm uh, right now. Um, there's a couple things I really want to know about Dark Souls 3. Um, so I mentioned like the invasion timer, like that's kind of not that interesting. Uh, it's something that, you know, is sort of bugging me, but, um, I feel like the more fun stuff, uh, whenever you get free Estus charges, uh, no one knows how that works yet. So that's really like, like, I can't wait to learn more about that. Um, you know, that's a weird thing. And the other thing, do you know about like the crab? Have you been reading about people like playing around with that little crab? the little crab no oh my oh this is the best thing ever so people are people are calling it like the new pickaxe or like whatever like um you know in dark souls 2 there's that ridiculous you have to lure a pig you do the pig and then do the yeah 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 um so in dark souls 3 and hopefully this isn't too spoiler heavy um i guess i'm going to reference an area that's early mid game that has a lot of skeletons uh, oh, don't don't worry about it. You can you can talk. Okay, freely. sure. I'll, I'll put a spoiler warning at the beginning, and we can just talk freely. Oh, sure, sure. So in the catacombs, um, you know, there's those two skeleton balls that like roll the ridiculous oh, physics. Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's the second skeleton ball. If you kill the guy, I didn't even know. I had to re- like I didn't learn that on my own. Like those two non-hostile enemies that are really funny. Um, yeah, the weird the skeletons with the weird pointy hats. I was literally talking about this with somebody today. Yeah, I, I find this whole situation very weird. Yeah, they're like the necromancers of those skeleton balls, which is the <laughs> yeah. which is the dumbest and weird. I love that. From is always amazing when they do weird shit. Um, like the big epic stuff is kind of like whatever. Whenever they do something that's kind of strange and funny, you know, I, I love it. Um, so the second skeleton ball tied to that second necromancer or whatever you want to call him. That drops a crab when it dies, when you break it. So it's kind of like, okay, that's very odd. Why did it drop a crab? The crab doesn't seem to drop anything special. So everyone, there's like this mad hunt. I haven't really played around with it much myself yet, but I'm reading all these posts from people trying everything they can think of with this crab, and it's like, oh my god, this is the new pendant. Um, <laughs> did you know Did you know that crab doesn't take fall damage? Um, so people have taken it to the rope bridge and dropped it all the way down there, and it survives the fall. So, like, they're going down there to, like, that Demon Ruins area or whatever it's called. Or the Smoldering Lake. Smoldering Lake, yeah. And, uh, That's crazy. Because they've also noticed... The rabbit hole keeps going deeper. They've also noticed that one of those large crabs in the Smoldering Lake is non-hostile. Like, it won't attack you unless if you attack it. So people are thinking there's some secret up with that crab, maybe. So they're luring that crab all the way down to that crab and, like, trying to have them have a meet or whatever. And, like... <laughs> Have him hang out and i found your dad go talk to him <laughs> exactly they've had him like they've had him uh trying to lure the crab to npcs and like do all this sorts of shit and drop items for the crab like pe- people are going crazy over the crab and i'm like that is amazing i love everything about that oh man that's so insane yeah i had just i mean that's so weird that you bring that up today somebody told me about um because i got the undead bone shard that's in the other ball because that skeleton dude is just right there and you can kill him pretty quick. But <clears throat> the second one, I never even, I don't even think I ever noticed the guy that was up there, the, the, the necromancer for the ball or whatever. So I never got the crab and someone it's, was telling me about it. It's funny. I, I did get the crab on my own without understanding why it happened. Uh, and I was mm-hmm. just like, that's strange. We're, I don't remember there being a crab here. And then I just sort of forgot about it. And then that's when I read all these people online, like doing crazy tests with it. And I'm like, that is the best thing ever. 
I remember reading about people, you mentioned the pendant, but I remember reading like this hundreds of pages on some forum somewhere where people were, this was before the DLC came out mm-hmm. for Dark Souls 1. People were literally like dressing up in different armor. They were walking around the forest trying to use weird items, all trying to figure out what this pendant did. Right. And, <laughs> and I just remember reading that going, I'm so glad that people are doing that so that I don't have to. Oh, right. Yeah, I always took a very like skeptical approach with the pendant um, where mm-hmm. my sort of perspective was um, dig through the game files first to see if there's any like unused assets that might be indic- indicative of like a secret. Um, mm-hmm. you know, some people would do stuff like speculating if a certain NPC has more dialogue. It's like, oh, well, we can just look through all the audio files in the text files of the subtitles to confirm if there's unused dialogue. And, you know, in cases there are, like I, I, and a couple other people added, you know, a lot of unused dialogue to the wiki. Um, but it was sort of like people were speculating on the pendant getting an extra ending or like unlocking some creature, like all this stuff. And I'm just like, nope, nope. Like none of that's possible because, you know, it's not in the files. And I imagine the crab is probably going to have the same process like it's gonna get to the point i know some people have already uh pulled unused content from dark souls 3 and i actually haven't looked at it yet because um i don't i mean i'm still in my first playthrough of the game and unused content's not mm-hmm. that interesting unless if you have like a context for it i feel like um yeah. you know if i haven't seen every weapon in the game one random unused weapon is not that interesting yet um so but i feel like after i'm more familiar with the game i want to definitely dig through the unused content you know maybe throw up a page on the wiki for it and uh if the- I have that thing where I saw some uh, cut content, which was a set of armor mm-hmm. from one of the NPCs, and it's in the game. It has item descriptions. You just can't access it or wear it. And I now I'm just like, well, that's the only armor I ever want to wear. <laughs> that's I amazing. Can't have it. Yeah, see, like something like that is very reasonable. Like you know, it probably just is used unused content because that comes mm-hmm. up in all the games. But you know, if there is a hidden secret, like that's a very reasonable. You know, it exists in the file, so maybe there is some super secret way of you know having that armor drop. So. Yeah, and it's interesting because the item description actually has some lore implications for if you're kind of a if you're into the lore at all. Like I was kind of I was reading it and we were discussing like, well, that's that's actually got serious implications about the origin of this particular NPC. I wonder, can you consider it canon if it's cut content? Like, you know, that, that there's some there's some weird lines that you get into with it, huh. that kind of stuff. I've, is it in the game or not? I've always leaned towards like accepting if the cut content doesn't like disagree with stuff that's in the game, in then it usually like works my way into it works its way into my head canon um mm-hmm. yeah if it's not outright contradictory like something like andre being like you know gwyn's firstborn it's like that's like cut content but that doesn't even make it into the game files that's like a cut concept like early on it's like yeah. so i played yeah. i don't play dark souls one thinking he's the firstborn um but there is some cut dialogue in dark souls one from uh kieran i believe she says something about the guy in the trench coat pilfered that ring. You know, where did you get that ring? Um, mm-hmm. And you can sort of deduce that she's talking about um, Artorius's ring. I guess the wolf ring, maybe. Um, so mm-hmm. like, there's this cut event from the game where she's basically saying Chester stole it, and you do find that wolf ring on the corpse in the Darkroot Garden. So it's like, oh wow. So I guess like time-wise, like that, that's Chester. Like he got stuck in Ulusil and wandered off and died somewhere. So like that, sure, that yeah. so it's like yeah. the, in my head it's like that's only i'm using cut content to come to that conclusion but it doesn't uh break anything in the lore so i i, I do like yeah, but but otherwise it's just a random corpse in the in the forest like it doesn't there is no there's nothing associated with it now so it doesn't, doesn't there's no disagreement for you exactly exactly so yeah i always i, I always I, th- I think i trust a lot of unused content for lore yeah 
Well, Illusory, I, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. I, re- I really appreciate it. Um, oh, absolutely. Can you tell everybody out there, if they don't know already, where they can find you on the internet? Oh, sure. Uh, I go by the name Illusory Wall. Uh, usually no spaces or underscores or anything like that. Uh, I have a Tumblr where I post Dark Souls-related stuff and also a Twitter, and I'm active on Reddit usually as well. And then non-soul stuff, I also host a podcast called Retro Game Audio. You can find it on SoundCloud where we talk about uh, sound design in classic video game soundtracks. And I can highly recommend the podcast because I listen to it. I try to listen to it every week. I think I'm a few episodes behind by now, but it's it's one of the highlights of my week whenever I listen to it. Oh, thank you very much. Um, and as always, I've been your host, Jeremy Greer. You can find me at JG Greer on Twitter. You can find this podcast and my other semi-weekly podcast at darkinsight.net. And if you want to tell your own soul's origin stories, you can get to me on Twitter at DGUSpodcast or DGUSpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.